Welcome to MoFo Perspectives, a podcast by Morrison and Forrester, where we share the perspectives of our clients, colleagues, subject matter experts, and lawyers. Welcome to Mo Forecast, a podcast series where experts from Morrison and Forrester make predictions about enforcement and policy trends in the upcoming Biden administration. Today, we'll be discussing state attorney generals. I'm your host, James Kukios, co-head of MoFo's Securities Litigation, Enforcement, and White Collar Practice Group. I'm pleased to be speaking today with Carrie Cohen and Megan Gerking. Carrie is the former Chief of Public Integrity in the Criminal Division of the New York State Attorney General's Office, as well as a former federal prosecutor, and is currently a member of MoFo's Investigations and White Collar Defense Group and co-chair of the firm's Workplace Misconduct Investigations Task Force. Megan was a trial attorney in the DOJ Antitrust Division, and her practice is focused on government-facing antitrust matters, including criminal and civil conduct and merger investigations. Megan and Carrie, in this series, we typically focus on how a change in a presidential administration can impact federal enforcement trends. But today, we're looking at state attorney generals. Carrie, maybe you can start out and help us briefly set the stage by explaining at a high level how a change in the federal government can nevertheless impact state attorney generals. Sure. Thank you, James. So while the state attorneys general enforce state law, the change in federal administration does have a great impact in the different areas and the priorities of the state attorneys general, particularly those attorneys general who have been, at least in the past 10 or so years, the more activist attorney general's office. Some may call them the more progressive attorneys general. Some call them the more creative attorneys general. But states like New York, Massachusetts, California have been, over the past 10 plus years, very active in bringing cases, challenging various federal policies on a constitutional basis to protect the citizens of their states. So the change at the federal government at the highest level, the presidency, does have a great impact on the state AGs in terms of their enforcement priorities when they look to protect the citizens of their state from what they see as unconstitutional actions by the federal government. From an antitrust perspective, The differing policy positions that the federal government and state attorneys general plays out in a dual enforcement role, specifically both state AGs and the DOJ and Federal Trade Commission have the authority to enforce the federal antitrust laws. So this creates a unique interplay between the federal and state authorities, in particular when they might take diverging policy and enforcement decisions. And James, I would add in other areas, there is overlapping enforcement authority, for example, in the environmental area. And I think, you know, I know we're going to turn to this next sort of what has been the trends for the past four years and how we expect that to change under the new Biden administration. But certainly, The past four years, the state AGs have stepped in to fill what they saw as a void in, for example, environmental enforcement, that it wasn't necessarily being done at the federal level. So they step in with their state enforcement authorities. And that's true not only in environmental, but as Megan just said, in the antitrust area, but in a whole host of other substantive legal areas. 
With that helpful backdrop, Carrie and Megan, what were the state AG enforcement priorities and trends under the Trump administration? So during the past four years of the Trump administration, um, the attorneys general who are sort of more active and some call more progressive have been extremely active in challenging the various policies and executive orders of the federal government, particularly of the Trump administration. So you have seen states like, again, New York in particular, has during the past four years brought numerous lawsuits challenging a variety of different actions by the federal government. There was, of course, the census case in the Southern District of New York brought by the New York Attorney General's office. And there were a variety of other challenges to a multitude of policies, including on immigration, as well as the environment, and sort of all over the map. And the AG, at least in New York, and same is true for California and Massachusetts, they spent a lot of their resources challenging different acts by the federal government that they believed infringed on their citizens of their state's civil rights, their human rights, their rights under the U.S. Constitution. And that kept a lot of the AGs very busy. And actually, there has been some criticism of those attorneys general's offices because it was seen that they were spending the majority of their resources and time and the resources of their attorneys challenging the policies of the federal government and sort of not paying as much attention to their more traditional role in the consumer protection space or in some of the financial areas, in the internet space, in the civil rights space, enforcing sort of their sort of bread and butter, more typical state cases in their respective states. On the antitrust front, as Carrie mentioned, the state AGs have been challenging the federal government directly. In antitrust, they have been taking some uh, very, very differing positions in enforcement actions. I, I think there's been a perception by state AGs that there has been under enforcement of the antitrust laws by the federal government in the Trump administration. So this has played out by the state AGs playing a growing role in antitrust enforcement on a very broad scale. They have been bringing actions coordinated across multiple states. And they've also been bringing actions within their own states that are focused on regional impact where the federal government has not taken actions. Typically, there will be coordination between the state AGs and the federal agencies. And then at the end of the investigation, they'll discuss the conclusions together. And in most instances, historically, you see the state AGs and federal agencies reaching the same conclusion, being aligned in a follow-on enforcement action, and federal agencies who are typically better funded and have more resources taking the lead. Here, though, over the past few years, you've seen an increased willingness by state AGs to act separately and apart from the federal antitrust agencies. You've seen this in conduct-type investigations and litigation. For example, the DOJ Antitrust Division had an investigation into bid rigging and market allocation by 
producers and distributors of generic drugs. And instead of being aligned on those matters, the Connecticut AG, along with many other AGs, filed a sprawling lawsuit almost out ahead of DOJ bringing any cases. The state AGs have also been very active in investigating big tech and others, what they see as possibly um, an a concentration of market power by certain big tech companies. Many state AGs recently did join the DOJ lawsuit against Google, so we do see some alignment there. Just overnight, there were reports that 40-plus state AGs will be bringing a case or are likely to bring a case against another tech company. It's unclear whether that will be along with the FTC or whether that will be separate. And then you've seen it also play out in merger enforcement. State AGs have brought a, a number of actions challenging mergers where the DOJ reached a settlement of Sprint T-Mobile. A large number of states actually challenged that. And individual states have brought merger challenges uniquely against local type mergers in Colorado and California. And I think one reason for this is state AGs are uniquely positioned to be more effective than private plaintiffs. So there's a perception that there's been a gap in enforcement by the federal antitrust agencies and the inability for private plaintiffs to successfully bring similar enforcement actions. And that's really because state AGs can they have broader authority to investigate potential violations. They can issue civil investigative demands, compelling production of documents and testimony, and that's at the very onset of their investigations. In civil litigation, plaintiffs must beat their motions to dismiss or defendants' motion to dismiss, and they also have to be able to certify a class in broader class action cases. So overall, this increased enforcement over the past few years by state AGs has really occurred at a time when there's a perception that there's been under-enforcement at the federal level, and also against the backdrop where there's been a reported decline in coordination in the relationship between the DOJ and FTC. Megan is exactly right with respect to the state AGs being extremely active not only in the antitrust area, but in all other areas. One particular area that some of the state attorneys general have been very active, especially in the past few years, has been in the area of civil rights, another area where some of the state attorneys general feel that the federal government has not been enforcing um, the laws that protect the citizens of their state from various infringements on their civil rights. One of those areas is police misconduct. and certain states, the governor has ceded to the attorneys general, especially in New York. One area that the state attorneys general have been particularly focused on is an area of police misconduct. And in some states, there have been laws passed specifically giving the attorney general jurisdiction to investigate cases where police officers are being investigated for police brutality or manslaughter or homicide 
against an individual while they were in their custody. In particular, in New York, Governor Cuomo signed legislation authorizing the Attorney General of the state of New York to have sort of the first jurisdiction over any investigations where a police officer in New York is accused of police brutality, specifically of a homicide while someone was in custody. And so, you know, that law was passed even before George Floyd's death and the events of this summer. But I do suspect that a lot of the state AGs, particularly the ones that have been more active, will start to take on the responsibility for investigations of police misconduct, in particular because in a lot of states, they are more removed from day-to-day interaction with the local police departments than their counterparts in the district attorney's offices. Thanks very much for that. Now let's turn to the future. What are your predictions about state AG enforcement priorities and trends under the Biden administration? I think in antitrust, there will be continued focus on enforcement actions. And I do think that there will be likely a greater alignment between the state AGs and the federal government. And I think another area of focus, which will continue, which has been an area of focus and I expect will continue, is in the data breach cybersecurity area. You know, there is no federal data breach notification law, whereas each state has its own data breach notification law. And we've seen the state AGs, particularly in the past four years, have been extremely active. Every time there is a company that reports a major data breach, there tends to be a multi-state response by the attorneys general to that data breach. And then there are some breakaway state attorney generals that have bring their own litigation or investigation regarding the data breach. And companies have really been besieged by all the different states and their different data breach notification laws, which are all different. And then the state AG is sort of jumping in and investigating whenever there is a data breach. I expect that will continue. There have been very large settlements in some cases. Um, and so I would expect that that will continue under the next administration. I also think there'll be a return to a sort of back to basics where the state AGs sort of turn back to their more traditional role of enforcing consumer protection laws, dealing with financial fraud, investor protection type of issues, and that that will you know, be more of a focus in the next four years because presumably there may be less work that they see in the need to challenge various federal policies coming out of Washington. Another area of traditional focus for the more active attorneys general is securities fraud. At least in New York, there's a statute called the Martin Act, which gives the state attorney general in New York authority to investigate and prosecute actually both criminally and civilly violations of the securities law of the Martin Act. And, you know, you would expect in the next four years that the attorneys general sort of step up their enforcement of the securities laws. And whether they do that in conjunction with the SEC, you know, we'll see. Traditionally, the more active attorneys general have struck out on their own, in particular in New York, because the Martin Act is a civil and a criminal statute. It gives them a lot of leeway. It does not require sinctor. So it is 
a, a very broad statute for the attorneys general. And I would expect that as they have more resources to devote back to the more traditional areas of enforcement, that at least in New York, which is, of course, the financial hub and where Wall Street is located, that we will see more active enforcement. I would also add for New York, the Department of Financial Services, DFS, has been very active in regulating banks. And I would expect more coordination between DFS and the New York Attorney General on that front as well. I would also add that in the last week or so that the Attorney General has announced a greater emphasis on investment advisor regulation. And there's a new statute in New York about transparency, about investment advisors and prior sanctions against them to be available to people looking at investments. And again, that is a traditional area of attorneys general to look out for what information consumers have available to them when they are picking various people to hire if for to manage their investments, but also to do construction in their home. All of those traditional consumer fraud, investor protection type areas is definitely going to be an area of focus for the next four years as many of the active attorneys general can devote back resources that for the past four years they have been using to challenge federal policy. They, I expect, will move them back into their more traditional state enforcement role. What should companies do to prepare for state AG enforcement going forward? I think it's all about compliance. It's very important to continue to develop and implement effective corporate compliance programs that cover all of the areas that Carrie and I have been talking about, including antitrust and crisis management. Particularly on the crisis management front, some of the more active state attorneys general have been criticized for sort of announcing major investigations through press releases and press conferences, and that creates for the entities and individuals under investigation, you know, a sort of crisis management issue. And so I think in the time in the next six months or so, while the attorneys general are sort of looking at what's happening in Washington and figuring out their priorities for the next four years, it would be wise of companies to look at their crisis management programs, do different roundtable exercises so that to the extent there are new multi-state investigations or new investigations by the attorneys general of companies within their states, again, in the areas of particularly financial fraud, cybersecurity, and consumer protection, that the companies have a well-thought-out plan for how to respond to that, because a lot of what the attorneys general do is done through their civil enforcement powers, which does not have grand jury secrecy. Unfortunately, a lot of the investigations are not covert while they are being done. And so, you know, companies would be wise to use this time to spruce up and do roundtables regarding crisis management issues, particularly including state AGs. Just to echo what Carrie was saying about confidentiality, if you are a company who does receive a CID from a state AG, very important to have counsel look through the applicable confidentiality statutes and rules within the state and consider whether you can reach a separate confidentiality agreement with the AG investigating the matter to ensure 
the greatest possible confidentiality protections to your proprietary and other sensitive business material. And finally, on transactions, if you are considering a merger or other type of transaction, it's important to consider the specific impacts or regional impacts to individual states, in particular to in the states where Carrie mentioned more um, active enforcement like New York, California, and um, even Colorado, as well as other states. This is the end of our Mo Forecast episode on state AG enforcement and policy trends in the upcoming Biden administration. Once again, I'm your host, James Kukios, speaking with Carrie Cohen and Megan Gerking. If you liked today's episode, please visit the MoFo website and join us for additional installments of the Mo Forecast series, covering predictions for enforcement and policy trends in other areas of the law. Thanks for joining us. Please make sure to subscribe to the MoFo Perspectives podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you have any questions about what you heard today or would like more information on this topic, please visit mofo.com slash podcasts. Again, that's mofo, M-O-F-O dot com slash podcasts.